Welcome everyone to episode 41 of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts and today I talked with Becky Witten, also known as AFA, who is an electronic, ambient and pop producer, mix engineer, mastering engineer, and is also the creator of The Wettest 100. In this episode, we talked about having great communication with the artists that you're working with so that you can properly uncover their artistic vision, the importance of active listening when you're making decisions in a mix, as well as a big discussion about the wettest 100. For all that and heaps more, stay tuned. If you can do us a favor and share this podcast across your socials in a conversation, anything like that, just spread the word of this podcast. We want to get it out to as many people as possible, as well as following along on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find this and listen to this, make sure you're following or subscribed so you can stay up to date. If you have any suggestions or requests or anything like that, you can send us an email, podcast.whatsthatsound at gmail.com. You can find the link in the show notes as well, as well as links to everything that we discuss in this episode. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. Enjoy this episode with Becky Witten. You're listening to What's That Sound? with your host, Stu Watts. What's going on? I'm here with Becky Witten, aka AFA. Welcome to the podcast, Becky. Thank you so much, Stu. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you're very welcome. And um, yeah, it's great to great to finally meet. And you know, it's going to be a good chat. I can I can tell already. <laughs> um, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, um, can you give us a little bit of a background as to kind of what you do in the in the music industry? I know you wear many hats, but uh, yeah, we'll unpack some of that. But yeah, just give us a, bit, a brief background as, as to what you do. One or two hats. Um, yeah, <laughs> look, um, so I do a lot of mixing and mastering for other artists. Um, I do a bunch of vocal production as well, mm-hmm. uh, less so, I guess, since the pandemic. Um, and I also make music as AFA, which is kind of like a lot of ambient stuff and also some experimental kind of uh, lyrically driven music. Um, and I also used to manage uh, sound for like live sound for Girls Rock Camp in Canberra um, from like the time it started up until 2022. So it was a big stretch. And I also recently in the last like three years have been running an initiative called the Wettest 100, which is kind of like an alternative music countdown. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll dive into that. But um, first of all, um, let's take it back to the start. Where Where did music come into play for you? Oh, okay. Right back to the start. Uh, I started making music on my own after having been in a few bands in Canberra or like electronic music collaborations slash bands. And, um, and then I moved to Melbourne in 2023 and none of the people who I was in bands or working with came 
as well. So they were all still in Canberra. So it was like way harder to keep those collaborations going. Mm. And I really wanted to still make music. And one of my main collaborators in Canberra had been like, hey, like you should jump on GarageBand for iPad and just (laughs) record all vocal music. Because I was just, I was a singer. I didn't play any other instruments. And for a while that seemed really intimidating, but then I gave it a go because I had something that I really, I was like, oh, I have a, I have an idea now. I want to lay it down. Mm. And um, I'm pretty sure that GarageBand for iPad only had like eight tracks in it or like yeah, it was right. like six or eight tracks. So I was like cramming as many vocals as I possibly <laughs> could into this tiny piece of software. Yeah, wow. um, and it was really fun. And then I went from that to getting Ableton and recording my own like more layered vocal arrangements um, and learning how to edit vocals Mm. and learning how to just make beats in Ableton kind of came next. Mm. And I studied at SAE for a time to kind of learn about mixing and mastering. Mm -hmm. And then as part of studying, I had to do an internship. You kind of have to do that to complete the bachelor. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought it would, like, even going into the degree, I was like, yeah, that's positive pressure. But then, like... I did super well in my first year of uni and so they sent me to this like conference which used to be called Face the Music. I forget what it's called these days. It's like it's still around sure, but it's yeah, just yeah. different name. Um, and I had made a list of all the people. It was like really nerdy but I'd made this little list of everyone that I wanted to talk to there and it was like Anna Lavity and, yeah, yeah. and, um, and there was this guy Andre Ehrman um, and he was – kind of like my age and doing a bunch of mixing and mastering. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I got to meet that guy. He's like talking on a panel. Um, so I like drank my cider in one <laughs> gulp and like walked up to him and was like, hello. <laughs> um, and we got along really well. And then I was like, oh, like this guy seems really nice. And he doesn't seem like weird and sexist. And I always hear about how people in the music industry are like weird and sexist. <laughs> and so um, so I sent him an email and I was like, hey, do you want to have me as an intern? And um, he did. Uh, it turns out Sick. he like really needed someone to help him out at that point in time. And so I started out working for him as an intern. And this was like while I was studying, so my second mm. year of study. Um, and then that turned into a paid job. And then all the while I was doing that, I was also like freelancing because he, I guess, works in this very, like even to this day, works in like quite a poppy world, like mm. a lot of like stuff. Like he mastered like... Te- um, Tones and I, Dance Monkey. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, and has like done a bunch of work um, with, yeah, artists like, you know, G Flip, Peach PRC, yeah, like yeah. poppy kind of yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and like, I love that stuff, but I also really love like the experimental side of things, like mm-hmm. um, a world of kind of like ambient music and noise music and, and like kind of art pop kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like freelancing, working with friends and other artists in that kind kind of world while I was working for Andre. Um, And then gradually over the years, my job with Andre um, kind of sat alongside that freelance career. I was doing those two things. And then when the pandemic hit, I guess because like a lot of artists 
like instead of touring, they were like making music instead. Mm. And so suddenly I had like a way higher volume of work than ever before, just mixing and mastering and occasionally producing for other artists. And so I branched out on my own. Um, Andre was like, do you have time for this job anymore? And I was like, <laughs> oh, actually, maybe I don't. <laughs> um, but uh, it's been nice because like we've, like he lives in the States now, but we've stayed friends and we've mm-hmm. worked on a few records sort of like as independent collaborators sure. in recent years instead of like me as the underling, as it were. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. been really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's he's huge. I've, I've like heard of him, of course. Um, he's one of the, a good export that we've had in the recent years. So um, <laughs> I, I want to know kind of what um, things you learnt from that sort of period working alongside him. I mean, so much of my mm. craft, really. I think, and and more. Like, I mean, it wasn't just mixing and mastering that Mm -hmm. I learned about working with him. It was also because like a big part of my job was like setting up mix sessions for him. Mm -hmm. And so I would receive these like packages of stems from producers who were like amazing, like people who were touring the world and Mm -hmm. taking approaches to production that I had not encountered before. And when you really unpack all the stems in an arrangement like that, you can really dig into like what what people are thinking, I guess, like mm. what strategies they're using, like what effect is coming in when and why and all of that sort of thing. And like setting up a mix, you know, I'm going through every stem and like checking, you know, the stereo field. Is it like phase compatible? Is it like, I don't know, is it uh, a drum or a synth? Where does it need to sit in the session yeah. and what subgroups are going into and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So it's like you're spending a lot of time with those stems. And, um, and yeah, and that just meant that I was able to level up as a producer as well yeah. as a mix engineer. That's like a fast track to to like, yeah, to, to seeing how everyone does it. That's great. That's that's awesome. I mean, that's such a rare experience. So, you you, you know, to, to have that, you know, in the first few years of you of you doing doing this is is so great and you know awesome well done <laughs> oh it, uh-huh. it was i was very lucky yeah i yeah. appreciate those opportunities a lot it's great awesome um so you know when you're looking at your own craft i guess moving into you know doing the freelancing stuff and and that sort of thing and even working on your own music what sort of things did you take from those sessions like are there any key standout things that you're like oh of course I need to do that from now on or you know how was there like a mindset approach that sort of thing when you're moving into your own sessions yeah I mean I think probably the the main thing is a mindset um Mm. the the main thing that's really stuck I guess um because like I was working for Andre at a specific point in his journey as well. Like I think over the time that I've known him, he has grown and changed a lot in his own approach to both mixing and mastering and probably production too, you know. Um, But something that I feel was there from the get-go and has really stuck with me and I think has stuck with him as well is just the importance of deep listening when it comes to EQ. Like I think there is this temptation to like fast track vibe 
in in the mixing stage in particular, and maybe sometimes in mastering too, there's like a temptation to fast track vibe by buying expensive, fancy plugins that mm. like you're not maybe totally sure what they're doing. Like, is it saturation? Is it compression? Is it a little bit of everything, you know? And I think that something that I really got from working with him was like the focus on actually knowing what you're doing, you know, like know when you're applying something to dynamics control, know when yeah. you're applying something to like add saturation, like, and, and EQ, like, I don't know. I, I feel really nerdy when I talk about EQ because it's really like, I love it so much. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like I love to hear like a well applied change, like, and I love to hear like what that brings to a piece of music. Mm. And I love like I love feeling sure and knowing that I can make a change that will like bring about what the artist's intended vision mm. actually is. Um, mm. It's just a really like, yeah, having that level of control and mm. having that level of like deep listening and respect for what each artist brings. I think mm. that's been one of the most valuable things. Yeah. And it's fascinating. You've touched on a, a few points where obviously keeping the artist's integral vision in in your mind as you're working is one of the biggest ones. But also, you know, the the listening aspect of something and and really making great judgment calls and, you know, the temptation to be heavy-handed, like you said, which is what those sorts of plugins tend to do. They tend to be quite heavy-handed so that when it, you know, is applied, you go, oh, this sounds awesome, but actually is it suiting what you're actually intending it to do for this track or for this part or, you know, anything like that or for this person's voice or anything like that. So, yeah, you brought up a, a few great points and I guess then, you know, how did you how did you start to uncover those uh, you know those thought processes or or was there any key moment that taught you to to really listen deeply to the stuff that you're working on or and things like that? Um, there have been a few interesting moments. Like I think particularly with like respecting the artist's vision. Um, one story that I like to tell people is um, about working on a specific ambient record uh, that came to me like really not mono compatible at all. Like obviously <laughs> ambient music is a genre that is notorious for like having, you know, some difficulties if you're trying to like convert it to a vinyl master or whatever, right, you know, right. like it's it's a wide time <laughs> ambient mm. music. Um, but um I remember working on this particular record and it's like a wonderful record and um, mastering it and being very conscious of the mono compatibility and being like, oh, like, here's what I need to do to make this mono compatible, but it changes things so much. And Mm. I kind of went to the artist and I was like, hey, look, this is the situation. Like, some of this record is going to disappear if you're playing mm. it on your, like, little Yui boom or whatever. Mm, mm. Um, and we had a big chat about it and basically, like, the conclusion we drew was that their listenership probably wouldn't be listening in mono and so they were just going to roll with the mixes they had and, mm. like, 
I would use quite a light hand in mastering. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so interesting because there are obviously, like, you know, if you study mastering at Mm. university or, like, study under someone who's, like, working in a very, like, radio streaming pop kind of Mm. world, they would be like, make that mono compatible. (laughs) But there are just so many different... So many different um, audiences, you know, and so mm. many different requirements that artists have um, for their tracks to reach their specific audiences. And mm. sometimes, like, what people want isn't, like, the, I don't know, cut and dry, technical approved mm. thing. Yeah, it's so true. And, like, you know, there's there's the time to be really technical. There's the time to focus a lot on the technical aspect of engineering and mixing and mastering and things like that. But then there's the time for taking a step back and, you know, just a appreciating it for what it is and and you know, I can I guess I can relate that to, you know, when you're producing an artist and there can be that tendency to completely change what they've done in a verse or a chorus, for example, and be like, you know, that's not going to work here but then you have to also be thinking but this is where that artist is at this point in time and it's important for me to capture what the essence of that artist is right now and right here and those sorts of things don't necessarily matter to a lot of people and you know there's some extremely raw production there's there's things for all different listenerships so it's such a great point that you raise like and I you know you know dabbling in uh, experimental electronic and ambient stuff there really aren't <laughs> there really aren't any rules so <laughs> you kind of have to stop yourself you know when you when you're trying to enforce those things on on people I guess yeah well I think it's just always a conversation um because mm. like there's there's such there's such diversity in the visions that people have for their artwork and that's always, like, exciting to go deeper into. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes, like, like I think especially, like, coming fresh out of uni, um, I, like, there's, like, a rigour that is expected as an engineer, of course, mm. and I think it can sometimes make you feel a bit stressed, like, especially when you're new, new on the mm. scene um, and it's easy to, like, you know, try and be working very quickly or, like, you're feeling under pressure so you're working in more of a, like, um, like your brain's not working as slowly is mm. what I mean. Like, and I think that, you know, um, there's a level of sort of chill that is required to be able to like approach certain problems and thoughtfully communicate like why that might be an issue and like mostly artists are like really you know interested in that kind of terminology right like Mm. they want to know what you're doing to some extent like Mm. maybe they don't want to like go and you know study like digital Mm. theory but like they Mm. they want to know like um what you're doing that's like bringing that extra special source to Mm. it all. Um, And so if your brain's kind of working slowly, then you you can see what might be an issue, but like technically, but you can also like explain that to the artist in a way where it's like, 
what would you like to do here? Mm. Like here's here's everything that I can do on my end um, Mm. to help you realise this vision, but there might be a trade-off between like two options, you know. Mm. Um, And the more you can feel that ease and... Um, I mean, I say like your brain working slowly, I suppose like what I really mean is like feeling less pressure or anxiety. Mm. Like, um, I think that just in general, I mean, this is like something that I think broadly would make the music industry a better place. And and now I could be waxing lyrical, but like, I just, I do feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pressure floating around from Mm. various places. And I think, if the pace just slowed a little, mm. um, there'd be some extra juice that mm. we could all get out of projects, broadly yeah. speaking. And so uh, what stands out to me is like feeling that pressure and that the confidence that comes with having done things a bunch of times and like you said, it can be really hard to not second guess, not second guess yourself in the, in the early years when you're maybe not as confident. And so, you know, how did you build that confidence up? How did you build your skills? How did you then have that confidence to be able to, you know, explain this to people that maybe not haven't been in those situations before or haven't come up with those types of issues before? That's a great question. I mean, I sort of just think it maybe happened with time, but I think it also probably happened with um being in a patient and understanding community. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I think that it is really important when you're developing as either an artist or an engineer or any kind of creative that people like they give you time to get better at stuff. Mm. Um, I think that's just so crucial. Mm. And like, you know, support and advice and um, I think that like, Because especially when I started out, like a lot of the artists that I worked with were like exactly the same age as me. Like we're all like super young and super fresh. And so we were chatting as equals even from the get-go and people would just say like, you know, if in the early days I did something they didn't like, they'd just be like super upfront about it Mm -hmm. and it was genuinely helpful. Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess, um, you know, once once you've heard something a bunch of times, it can make sense, like it can solidify this, you know, process, I guess. But when you are first starting out, it's hard to know, it's hard to know what is the right way to to do something or the right way to, you know, even learn, like learning can be so difficult because of the amount of information that's out there these days. Um, and so when you're first starting up with, with, you know, friends or peers that are in the same sort of space as you, it, it, it's exciting, but it's also like you're trying to learn together. And so those honest conversations are, uh, are great. Like, and, and it can be harder to actually hear that when you're more experienced because, there's a tendency to be like, oh, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> well, and yeah, go on. And that yeah. feeling of kind of like, like, um, I have to know what I'm doing now. Mm. Like, I'm at this stage. Like, I have to know. It's like, no, nah, learning never really stops. I guess. Yeah. Like, you just keep, you just keep finding new inroads into mm. the craft that show it to you through different, different eyes. And I think. Um, like, I think part of the reason for that is 
it, it does hark back to what I said before about like every artist having such a unique vision. It's like you're always as a mix engineer or as a mastering engineer, you're always going to find something new to learn because every artist is going to be thinking about music in a different way and they're going to teach you different ways to listen. Um, And and having those channels of communication really open with the artists that you work with is so good because it gives you like more opportunities to learn that. Yeah. And and to me, that's what the fun part of, you know, collaborating with someone is, is like unpacking or, or learning that new thing that you've just never, <laughs> never thought of before. It's like, holy shit, I've never, never even thought about it that way. You've blown my mind. That's one of the, they're the fun times for me is like just unpacking that new skill or new way of actually thinking about your craft. I love that. Um, I want to, um, I want to, you know, let's, let's talk about your, your solo stuff, you know, AFA, like where did that come about? Was that a, a really organic thing? Did someone kind of, you were talking before about you know your friend um, encouraging to, you to do that to, to do the vocal based stuff. Tell us a bit about that and you know the influences and that sort of thing. Well, yeah. So that so my vocal stuff or my AFA stuff has been existing under the same artist name for like since that that first Garage Band mm. effort um, and. Um, it's some it's kind of funny because you know I've often thought or like people have kind of in the past you know said to me you know you've done a lot of different stuff under this artist name mm. um would you ever branch out and do like some of your work under a different project name but I I always had this like really strong commitment to like keeping it under the same kind of bracket just because um, when I was able to see, like when I started out making music, like I probably wouldn't have like pursued my own stuff to the same extent if I hadn't seen other artists, like, and it's kind of rare, but mm. you know, these artists are around, um, where like they've got their earliest stuff still up on the internet. Like, like mm. the biggest mm. example for me is Grimes. I mean, the place she's at now is deeply confusing and a bit worrying. But um, (laughs) when she was kind of in that whole phase of um, releasing Visions, um, which was kind of like her breakthrough record, um, all of of her original stuff like was still online and some Mm. of it is like quite like very cool, like very characterful, but like audio quality is kind of not. You know, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, it was just like uh, seeing that, seeing that you know she did start out with a rougher sound and was able to develop it. Like that made me feel like it could be possible for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of thought like it's it's almost like cheating or something if I hide mm. away the like early stuff. That's to, that to me sounds like super, you know, naive and maybe a bit embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's just always been like I find it easy to make stuff for AFA because like I always have something to say. Like, mm. um, and, 
and I've always just, I guess, used it as an outlet for like learning new production stuff that I want to learn, whether it's like, you know, my second full-length album was me kind of learning how to make beats as opposed Mm. to like learning just how to chop up vocals in Ableton. And then um, my third album was kind of like learning how to make music very quickly when I was very scared during the pandemic. Um, And then uh, my, my fourth record was from these marathon vocal improv streams that I did um, where like throughout 2021, I just basically like worked up, like gradually spent more and more time on my Twitch channel, just doing like, started with like a two hour vocal improv stream. And then it got to the point of like 12 hours on the boxing day of that year. And yeah, it was just like, you know, singing and manipulating it with electronics for 12 hours. And Mm. it left me with like a lot of stuff to draw from, like Mm. a lot of material that I could kind of dig through and find what was good and find what fit together um, Mm. into like a world that made sense and turn it into a record. Um, So, yeah, so so it's always just been like a a journey of improvement, I suppose, mm. like trying to trying to dig deeper and work out what my what my physical body can do and what my brain can concoct. <laughs> mm. Well, it doesn't sound like you have uh, you know uh, trouble with creativity by you know irregularly putting stuff out, um, you know whether that be solo stuff or collaborations and things like that. So talk to me a a little bit about creativity. How do you get into that creative zone? Is there specific things that you have to do or is it kind of just let's see what happens? Here is what fuels my creativity. (laughs) And this might be TMI, but um, I really feel like the main like fuel for my creativity is like having things to say to people that I like can't say to them. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and more often than not, that's in like a romantic context, you know, but it's like that thing of like having this conversation in real life is like not going to be productive um, and like, or it's not going to be like right or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, But it is going to make good art and that is where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, cool. And then uh, obviously that, you know, fuels you when it comes to vocal stuff. What about the composing and production side of things? Is that a similar thing or is it, do the vocals come first? Does the music come first? What Talk to me about that side of things. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because like I always think of myself as like, um, you know, lyrics and melody first, but I do spend obviously a lot of time like singing without words um, and I produce remixes for people um, and like produce for other people where it's like, you know, I'm making music but Mm. it's not um, with my own message in it or all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think like for me production, anything that is like, you know, production or production adjacent is just really, like, I find it very meditative Mm. and there's a sense of, like, um, like, once I get, once I've laid down any level of a good idea, um, there's a bit of a, like, I guess, flow state that kicks in Mm. um, and, and it becomes quite, like, meditative to, like, add things that feel right. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, but I do think it, like, 
it does ride a bit on like having a good idea to start with. Like mm-hmm. I think, you know, in in cases where I've like gotten really stumped with a beat or something, mm-hmm. um, like for example, recently I was trying to produce a remix on my Twitch stream and um, I started out and I was like, okay, it's going to be like an ambient version of this song. And it was just like so wrong to do it as an ambient version. And <laughs> it took me like multiple streams to realize that it was not working. And then yeah. I got like a sick beat down. And once I had that, I was like, okay, everything else is just going to fall into place. It's cool. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for listening so far. There is plenty more to come, so don't go anywhere. I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors. So if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support, you can send a donation to the PayPal link, paypal.me slash what's that sound. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it. I love it. Well, talk to me about, you know, when you're collaborating with other people, um, I guess in a, in the sense of creatively, but also on actual projects that you're hired for, does do those things come to you? Do you search for them? And if you're searching for them, how does that? How do you approach that? What's the way you go about doing that? I mean, I've always like with creative collaborations, it's pretty much always been like people coming to me and I haven't really searched for stuff. Um, Honestly, I guess because um, since my production style feels uh, like sort of left field in the Australian music landscape, um, I have maybe felt a bit nervous, um, Mm. you know, Uh, which I know... You're not supposed to say on a podcast, but <laughs> I think it's If you feel it, true. that's that's great. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like uh most people who I've produced for, I'm trying to think if there's any exceptions, but it's really been people who've sought me out because they like have said, I really enjoy the specific flavor that mm. you give to music and um, and I'd love to do more of that kind of work, honestly. Like um, it is a real buzz when you collaborate creatively with someone who's like a real kindred spirit mm. in the sounds that they love and the st- sort of stuff that they love. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to give have a go at trying to <laughs> describe what comes to me when I listen to the the music that you create as well as the stuff that you work on. A lot of it is electro and pop and that sort of world. Um, But it is avant-garde in the sense that you're pushing boundaries. Um, Sonically, there's kind of like, to me, it sounds like you're looking for something new each time you do it, but it's not it's not avant-garde in the sense of it's like oh, trying to grab your attention necessarily. It's kind of quite pleasant to listen to and, you know, but it is highly creative. So, but the other thing that I notice is a lot of it has quite this like eerie, almost like darkness to it. Is that intentional or is that something that, you know, just kind of happens and it just, you just let it be? <laughs> Uh, I think it just seeps out of my soul. Um, (laughs) No, I like, it's funny that you say that because I get two different kinds of feedback around AFA stuff. And Mm -hmm. one of them is what you've just said, that, Mm. that it's like a dark feeling vibe. And then the other one 
is that it's relaxing. Mm. Like some people listen to my stuff and they're like, that's a bit creepy. And some people listen to like the exact same tracks and they're like, hmm, makes me feel chill. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'm just going to say it's a Rorschach test. Like maybe it's not <laughs> me, maybe it's you. <laughs> Sweet. No, that's great. I mean, I, that's the beauty of music is that it, everyone feels something different when they listen to it depending on how they're feeling on the day, depending on what they've just listened to, what they've been listening to for a year, all that sort of stuff. That's, that is the beauty of music. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm – it's 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 great. I, I I love it, and I love ambient music and um, electronic stuff. So, it it it's really really nice to listen to. So, yeah, Thank you got you. a fan in me. But um, uh, I guess want to <laughs> then let's let's branch off. We talked about a lot of the stuff that works. I guess in your, you know, whether it be a job that you're working on or your own music, what are the sort of brick walls that come up, and and how do you o- overcome challenges? I mean, I feel like over the years, probably the biggest challenge that I've had to overcome is ego. Um, just in the and and I think people are like, like it's sometimes unclear what people mean when they say that. So I will endeavor to explain. Mm. Um, basically, like I think you know when I first started out mixing and mastering in particular, um, I felt so like, um, like, uh, what's the word? Kind of like shaken up by like mixed notes. Like people, obviously you do a mix, people send notes back and they're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, can you change blah, blah, blah. And I think it's pretty common for people like starting out in engineering stuff to like feel a little bit taken aback by that kind of stuff. And like, I've definitely seen like bigger engineers than me, like feel like nervous about that or feel weird about that. And like, I think in particular, like seeing Andre get notes back for his mixes was um, useful for me because it meant that I saw someone who was much more experienced than I was in the early days, um, like receiving critique as well. And Mm. I think maybe unless I had seen that, things would have been even Mm. more difficult. But um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, work and experience that goes into working out um, which parts of what your ear is telling you about a song are like technical Mm. prompts and which are to do with your own taste. And Mm. um, I think that that, like like digging into that and kind of really working out what's going on there is pretty important and takes a long time potentially. And, you know, a lot of the emotions that you might feel if you're critiqued on something that maybe is more your taste um, than your, like, technical ear, like, it can be kind of murky and can be hard to even tell that you're having a feeling about mm, it, mm. Um, you know, and then mm. and then later on you're kind of feeling bad about yourself and then you can reflect and just be like, oh, I'm, I'm speaking as like, you might do this. No, this, is, this has been my experience is like sure. I, um, you know, often would get really self-critical and then realise that um, it was because I have like things that I love to hear in music Mm. and um, I 
I guess, just have really needed throughout my career to find a way to like express the best of my technical self in my mixing and mastering work mm. and and like keep an outlet for like the things that are very much my niche personal taste in my mm. own artistic output and sometimes those things cross over like it's not a hard and fast you know yeah, boundary yeah. between them um but it does take a bit of sorting through if you're like making your own music mm. and producing and mixing and mastering for other people I think mm. well I don't does think that make sense sorry abso- that was a yeah bit, no absolutely yeah. <laughs> no you've put it put it in an interesting way though because I think everyone would be able to relate to what you've said about you know kind of feeling like that mix notes can be like a personal Thing, like you, your mix sounds like shit but it's not or this or the way that you've done this sounds crap or, you know, whatever internal way we interpret a note because I guess the the whole thing about mixing is it is half technical, half creative and we have to put uh, – because we love music. I mean I, I don't know if you could do this job if you didn't love music. So we're putting our heart into it. We're putting our – you know, experience and like life experience into it even because because it's emotional. We're relating back to how we felt when we heard these things in the past. Like, you know, some some song might trigger a specific memory of something. So all of those things that add up and, you know, cause us to make this mix move, for example, when someone disagrees with it, it can feel like a personal attack. So like you said, it, it takes... It takes practice to be able to look at that and go, well, at the end of the day, it's their project. And just because I want something a certain way doesn't mean that everyone else does. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I can absolutely relate to that. And at the end of the day, we just have to try and, like you said, have a conversation about, hey, maybe this is how I'm feeling about that part. What do you, you know? Where where do you kind of have that opinion about it? Or I mean, we might be digging too deep into that, but sometimes it does require those those sorts of conversations to be like, I really want to understand why you want this to sound that way. <laughs> well, I mean, this kind of circles right back to um, what we were saying before about uh, like having that conversation open and that leading to understanding an artist's vision Mm. all the better. Um, And I think that, you know, like in terms of mixed notes, it's, it's one way, it's one expression of an artist's vision. And it's like, if as a, as a mix engineer or a mastering engineer, you have the humility to like really listen to what an artist is saying, um, Mm. that's always going to bring you something good as well in your craft because, Mm. like, you develop your ability to understand and interpret what a wider range of artists are wanting and what Mm. they're seeing and what... And, you know, it taps into, um, like, broad trends as well. Like, it's Mm. not just when you learn about one artist you can be learning about more than one artist, Mm. if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, those things sometimes lead to the coolest parts as well because, you know, I can relate it to when I'm producing, you know, I work with a lot of bands and 
they've had these songs for quite a while and when you try and give, you know, a production tip or like, hey, maybe we change this chord or something like that, um, or, or even when they have that sort of thing where like they have an idea, oh, what if we try this? And I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. And then they try it and I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that <laughs> up. You know what I mean? There's, they can lead to those cool things. Totally, totally, absolutely. Yep. Nice. Well, um, you know, when I, I want to un- understand kind of when you're listening to a mix or, you know, referencing a mix or something like that, what is your idea of something that sounds good or is a good mix or is a good production? Like I want to understand what your thoughts are around that. I mean, it's just so, there's so many ways that things can be good. Mm. I think I think this is why like having that humility to different tastes is um, so good to cultivate because mm. like there are so many ways to have good taste. Mm. <laughs> um, I love, I love a mix that creates the best version of the world that the production of a song is going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's like a, if if that's a hyper pop production where the highs have to be searing and mm-hmm. the lows have to like, you know, shake Hit the you. earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then like hearing that expression is really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something that's a bit more kind of like, musty and mysterious um, than like hearing the, I mean, like with a lot of AFE stuff, uh, I I guess um, I'm going for like a production sound that's kind of like, um, like a futuristic sound that mm. has been like uncovered after an apocalypse or something. Right, and so like right. the, it's like the technology cool. you're listening to this futuristic thing on is damaged. And so it kind of sounds like, a bit gacked or whatever. Awesome. Um, and so like hearing, you know, the artifacts and the mustiness, if that's what people are going for. Mm. Um, I like, I just love, like I think that something that really um, just satisfies me about the whole process of mixing and producing is like creating spaces. Like you're always mm. creating some kind of a space. That's what reverb is about. That's what like hearing different frequencies placed in like given different emphasis, like that's what hearing music that way is about. And um, and if the space can be like a really engaging space or just the best version of that space, mm. that's what I love. I love that. That's that's such a great way to put it. It's awesome. Well, I guess from there, tell me about, you know, some of your favourite tools to use, I guess. Um, you know, both do you use hardware as well as software stuff or are you primarily going for software type things? I'm mostly an in-the-box girly, but I use, like, when I can get my hands on good preamps, I will use them. Um mm. I really like the Gordon, which is like an Australian-made, like super nice, clean pre. Cool. Um, and you know, I can get around a Neve for some filth as well. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like, um, but um, I so I use a lot of Fab Filter stuff for mixing mm-hmm. and mastering because I love to have 
control, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. in terms of EQ and compression specifically. Um, I use the sound toys suite like creatively as well as occasionally technically to like, I think that, I think sometimes like adding color to a sound is a technical choice. Mm, Um, Like it's kind of like you're not really hitting the mark of the genre unless you're adding that saturation or whatever it might be. So, um, so yeah, uh, I use a lot of free plugins. So like, I'm I'm just a fiend for things I don't have to pay for. (laughs) Um, so I really, at the moment I'm loving, um, there's like a free plugin that's like an MP3 emulator. Um, and it's called Codec. Um, and it's, it looks very aesthetic, um, because it's like, uh, it's because it's free occasionally, it can be a little bit glitchy. If Mm -hmm. you like have it, um, bypassed, it can do some funny things to the timing of your track (laughs) occasionally. Um, but, um, but it does sound cool. Um, and you can pay for a lot of plugins that do exactly the same thing. So it's like, you know, um, on the free plugins front, I also use Crush with a K, um, which is yep. one from Tritic, like a bit crushing um, down sampling yep. kind of little unit. Um, I love, there's this plugin as well called Cassette um, yes. for like tapey yep. sounds. That's not free, unfortunately, but it is really dope. I yeah, really yep. enjoy it. Um, and like a lot of friends also use that plug-in um, sketch cassette, which mm-hmm. is like, uh, like I think a similar vibe, like adding mm-hmm. like tapey effects and stuff. Yep. Um, but um, I haven't got that one, but I have enjoyed it when I've used it in other contexts. So. In, in that vein, uh, try Cymatic's Origin. That plugin is awesome. It, okay. downgrade your sound and it's free as well. So it's a, Great, love it's it. It's an awesome <laughs> plugin, yep. It's <laughs> all sick. about that. I think it's like you get to this moment of being a mix engineer when you've like been working so hard to make everything sound pristine for a really long time and then you just need to cut loose and you just download yeah. all these plugins that make everything sound like shit. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But it's aesthetically shit. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. No, I love it. And uh, when you're recording vocals, do you have a go-to uh, vocal chain, I guess? Um, well, I am right now talking into this U47 FET, which um, I have instead of a superannuation. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's great. It's a very versatile mic. There's not many people who whose voices it makes sound bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can get my hands on this equipment, I would uh, for like... For very versatile, clean vocals, I would run this into the Gordon preamp and like a tube tech compressor Um, because like those things are – so I do a lot of work out of Carriage Studio in Mm NAMM and um, those things are in Carriage Studio. So I, you know, those are go-tos. Or like, you know, running it into a Neve if I want something that is a bit more sort of like vintage sounding. Mm I use a lot of like, well, I shouldn't say a lot. I use like um, uh, subtle but effective, uh, like FabFilter Pro Q3 for just like a surgical, like here's what I'm doing to that vocal to make sure it's not cooked Mm -hmm. Um, and use 
pro MB to just multiband any like big old vowel sounds, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. a compressor to make sure that it's compressed if the tube tech hasn't or any like outboard compression that I might have had access to isn't sure. already doing enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I used to parallel compress vocals a whole lot um, and I still do that for like a poppier sound, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but it really depends. Mm -hmm. Like um, I sort of stopped uh, always telling people to do it because I found that people would occasionally do it in like, since I'm in this like experimental ambient world, like people would occasionally start parallel compressing vocals that need to sound quite like back in the mix. And it's like, Mm. there's not really like much of a point doing that. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, so uh, DSing, mm-hmm. we love that. Um, yep. <laughs> I, for whatever reason, like I, um, I have the most like, like me personally. I've I've recorded a lot of vocalists, um, but I am the vocalist who I have heard make the most lip noises. Like not because of <laughs> you know recording me more than anyone else. It's just like I don't know what is wrong with my mouth. And it, I just there's like a lot going on there, and I. Maybe I need some sort of like niche vocal training. You need or that dentist but, uh, thing to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I I definitely you know if there's like some things happening, I'll like go into Isotope RX and mm-hmm. take out the little like snorts, Clicks like and pops. Sn- like why do I snort like that? <laughs> Other vocalists that I have like edited stuff for and recorded. I don't. I don't have to edit out snorts, but That's for me, as. some for some reason. Anyway. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's um let's touch on the wettest one hundred. Tell us a bit about you know how that came to be and also what it looks like now. Well, okay. Thank you for asking this question because this is really what I've been like throwing <laughs> all my time into for a little minute. Um, so. I started the Wettest 100 as a total experiment in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2021. Um, because I'd just been having this running, not even a joke really. It was kind of a like, haha, wouldn't it be funny if there was a harsh noise hottest 100? <laughs> No one would do that, right? Unless, like, um, and obviously no one did it because what I've realized now is that it's a shit ton of work <laughs> to run yeah. something like that. Um, but it is very rewarding. Mm. Um, but yeah, like basically um, I started it as this like experiment on my Instagram where people would vote for left field tracks, like, you know, punk, DIY, ambient, experimental, alt-pop kind of stuff mm-hmm. um, in a Q&A box in my story. And I literally put this Q&A bo- box up every day for a month and screenshot the votes that people voted for. And heaps of people voted. Like, mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, people actually want this. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. we made it its own Instagram account. And then last year, one of my friends was like, hey, like, I'll make you, or like, I guess, end of the year before, um, a friend was like, I'll make you a website because it'd be cool. Like this initiative's cool. Like let's have a website for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Raphael made this sick website and we did voting partially off the website and partially on Instagram because we were kind of like, 
maybe no one will vote on the website. Like it's cool to have a website to legitimize it, but like people might just not want to stray from Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it turned out most people voted on the website and so we moved all the voting there this year. Um, awesome. And last year it doubled in size and this year it like more than doubled in size yeah. in terms of like number of voters and number of tracks voted for. Um uh, which is, I think, like, you know, a lot due to just community support, but, like, APRA also got behind it this year, which was really cool. So sick. Um, there's a few, like, sponsors on board um, who are going to kind of uh, add, like, material value essentially for yeah, yeah. some of the artists who are ranking. So, like, Ableton's sponsoring the yeah. uh, top-ranking electronic artist and um, Carriage Studio will give, like, the highest-ranking non-based artists some free studio time and, there's like 4,000 studios jumping on board to offer the highest ranking Queensland artists some free time in their studios. So it's like there's a lot of stuff um, just coming together around it, I guess. And um, it still is like in the, I, I would say it's still in the experimental phase. Like there's definitely mm -hmm. kinks to iron out. But um, it's really cool to see how much people want to have something like this. And yeah. Um, I hope that it can keep growing. I hope that it can become something that like allows a lot of artists who deserve to be more heard, be more heard. Absolutely. It's such a great initiative and um, yeah, props to you for, for kicking it off and staying with it. It's uh, it's one of those things where you can start something and it, it can uh, – it can do stuff, but then keeping it going is obviously always the hard part. So, so yeah, I obviously wish you the best of luck and hope that it keeps going. And uh, when's when's it um, when's it happening this year? When what's the date for the stream or the yeah the uh, yeah. is it a live stream? And tell me a bit about that actually, because oh, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, don't yeah. fully know. Um, <laughs> so, because it's still growing, um, basically, like there's like each year there's been kind of like a clear ranking of a certain number of tracks. Like first year it was like there were 10 tracks that you could just say those are the top 10. Mm. And then there's like a bunch of ties. Um, and so what we did was we like did a live stream, 10 tracks countdown, and then celebrated 100 tracks on the Instagram just through the day and not ranking them. Like there is kind of like a broad ranking, I guess, in there mm. because it's like there's like a tie of a certain number of votes and then there's a tie, like there's kind of like two or three brackets this year. Mm. But mm -hmm. um, what we'll do this year, I think there's like 23 tracks that are very clearly like these are the countdown tracks. Mm -hmm. And we also do like a top albums um, round because I think in this, in the more left field world, um, there's definitely like a sense that it's less about singles. Like albums are actually quite important to people's mm -hmm. listening experience. Um, and so um, this year it'll be eight albums that are quite clearly ranked and that's from like 140-odd albums that people wow. have voted for. Um, and it all gets streamed on February 11th, uh, which is coming out very wow. soon. next week. <laughs> yeah, literally this At Sunday. At the time of recording. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, this episode won't be out by then, so um, is there a way for anyone to be able to, like, listen back or where can they find all the info of what has charted? 
Um, so Instagram's kind of our main hub still. Uh, so the handle's just at wettest100. Um, and there's also a website, so it's wettest100.au. And um, you can read more about it all. I did an interview with APRA. So mm-hmm. um, if you just like Google wettest100 APRA, I'm sure it'll Sick. pop up. Um, yeah, if you want to learn more and about the law. Playlists, is there? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm a bit on the fence this year of how to do that because yeah, like true, Spotify has been really whack, honestly, mm. this year um, in that they have like taken away royalties for like a lot of emerging artists. Mm. Um, like every track that in a year doesn't stream over a thousand plays, like just doesn't get royalties for that year, which is very bad, actually. So, um, so I want to sort of have the playlisting more Bandcamp based, mm-hmm. um, or like have a way to point people more to Bandcamp. Um, but at this, at the time of recording, that is a problem for future me. Because <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, um, any listener, be sure to follow and uh, keep track of all that stuff because it's such a, again, it's such a great initiative. Um, yeah, awesome stuff. Thanks so much for your support of it too. I appreciate that. No worries. Um, let's finish up by, I always do this um, with my guests. I would love to hear um, your best bits of advice for, first of all, people that are producing and engineering in their first five years and then artists who are in their first five years. Um, I feel like the... Advice is kind of the same for both. Cool. I think it's literally just like find like-minded people, find your people in the music world, um, like spend time working out what your taste is, what you're excited about, um, and and just go to shows and um, support the people around you who you're really vibing. And I think that just the faster you can find community that you respect, the easier it becomes to respect yourself. And I think when you respect yourself, it's easier to like have the humility that you need to improve at your craft, Mm. if that makes sense. Um, Mm. Because it is... Yeah, just something that you need to be able to spend a lot of time with and go really deep with. And if you can be kind to yourself and not like kind of self-punishing in your attitude while you're doing that, then it's really ideal. Mm. Fantastic. I love it. It's uh, it's really great advice and, you know, finding your tribe is so crucial for all those reasons you mentioned for support, for you know, trying stuff out for just having a sounding board whenever whenever you have a random idea or something like that. All of those reasons are, are, are really, really cool. And, you know, just, just being in the music industry is tough. It's hard. It's like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of unpaid hours and having people around you to, to just weather that storm with is, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you need really. Um, and so for anyone that doesn't have that, for whatever reason, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're, you're always welcome to reach out to me and, uh, yeah, 
I can imagine, Becky, that you're probably feeling the same way if, uh, you know, if people are resonating with what you're saying, I'm sure they can reach out to you. So where, where can they totally. find you find you online? Um, well, I probably spend too much time on Instagram myself. <laughs> um, so that's a good place. Uh, I'm like A for with an underscore on Instagram. Um, and, uh, people always, uh, <laughs> people are always welcome to, uh, email me. Um, I am Becky Witten at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been awesome. I've loved it. And you've had some really, really cool insights and, um, yeah, just your approach to music and, you know, keeping, uh, keeping it weird and, uh, you know, left field is, 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 is awesome. So I love that. So yeah, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome. And for anyone that has made it this far, thank you so much. Um, appreciate your support. If you could do us a favor, if you really want to follow along with what we do here, make sure to follow or subscribe on any platform that you're checking this out on. Um, if you have any questions or you have any suggestions, you can email me. The email link is in the show notes. Um, I will have links to everything that, um, you know, everything that's related to Becky will be in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah, thank you once again. Um, and we will see you next time on What's That Sound. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.